Tired of the Bible not meeting your needs? Want the scripture to better revolve around your lifestyle? Well, you've heard of the YouVersion Bible app, introducing the Me Version. Feel free to read the Bible without having to feel convicted. My favorite verse in the Me Version Bible is Matthew 7.1, Thou shalt not judge. Unless they voted for a different political candidate. Other favorites include, Therefore, if a brother has sinned against you, post about it on the internet. And ye are without sin, so cast all the stones you want. Thanks, me version. This is great. Don't like something? Change it yourself. Me version is the world's first editable Bible. All your favorite verses just updated to reflect modern life. Like, give us this day our daily gluten-free bread. And I will deliver you into the land flowing with almond milk and ethnically harvested honey. Finally, a Bible that justifies my lifestyle, not the other way around. Most read passages include, before you check the speck in your brother's eye, remember that you do not have a plank in your own eye. And forgive us our trespasses as we literally never forgive anyone who trespasses against us. Tired of feeling guilt? Enter areas that you struggle and we'll remove those verses completely. The Bible says all scripture is God-breathed and useful. And useful for taking out of context to justify your actions. Thanks, me version. I wish I would have known about this sooner. The Me Version Bible app turned the truth into your truth. Available now in the App Store and Google Play. Finally, a Bible that justifies my lifestyle instead of the other way around. Wow. We've been advertising the Bible app, the U Version Bible app, and that's the Me Version Bible app. That's a joke. Don't go looking in the App Store for the Me Version Bible app. But unfortunately, it, it's a parody that, like all parodies, reveals truth. And there are too many Christians that today, including us, a lot of times, just hit that blue button on the, on the slideshow. We got a substitute today. She's working on it. Oh. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> oh, there, there we go. Is. Okay. Okay. Boom. Little button. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Well, what was true in our time, what is true right now today is that a lot of us, we take the Bible out of context. A lot of Christians, uh, they kind of, we put our lifestyle into the Bible and twist scriptures to get God to say what we want Him to say so we feel okay about living the way we do. But that truth... And that video is just as true about 3,000 years ago in the time of Israel and in the time of Amos as it is today. So go ahead. We're in the book of Amos in your Bibles. And it's a minor prophet. If you haven't been here yet the past couple weeks, I usually say it's right after Joel and right before Obadiah. And people go, I don't, I don't, that doesn't help. So it is a minor prophet. You may want to use your index or your Bible app. And we are in the book of Amos, chapter 3. Chapter 3. We're going to discover God's people were doing a lot of things back then that a lot of God's people do today. Acting on sinful, natural desires, uh, much to their destruction and much to God's dismay in their life. So in Amos, chapter 3, he starts out with some uh, rhetorical questions about... uh, how judgment is for sure coming. So, everybody there in Amos? Are you there in Amos? Okay, we're in chapter 3 this week. And I know it's kind of, these, these minor prophets are kind of 
uh, poetic a little bit, and it can be hard to understand. So what we've been trying to do is get some main concept, concepts from the book of Amos, break it down in today's language, and to understand what's going on back then and apply it to our lives today. So let's see what Amos has to say to the nation of Israel, chapter 3, verse 1. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities, sins. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from his den if he has taken nothing? Does a bird fall on a snare on the earth when there is no trap for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Back in verse 3, no, 2, 4. Does a lion roar? That reminds me, if a man says something in the forest, is he still wrong? And nobody hears him? Have you heard that? And his wife isn't around to hear him? Is he still? No. That, that's not a question in here. That just reminded me of that. Verse 7. For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to the servants of prophets. The lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, but who can prophesy? Proclaim to the strongholds in Ashdod and the strongholds in the land of Egypt and say, Assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria and see the great tumults within her and the oppressed in her midst. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord. Those who store violence and robbery in their strongholds. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, An adversary shall surround the land and bring down your defenses from you, and your strongholds shall be plundered. Thus says the Lord, as a shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, what? so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch and part of a bed. What he's saying there is only a small remnant of the people would be left after this judgment. They would survive the judgment. Verse 13, hear and testify against the house of Jacob. We talked about that when we went through Genesis. Declares the Lord God, the God of hosts, that on that day I punish Israel for his transgressions. I will punish the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. They had some false idol worshiping. I will strike the winter house along with the summer house. These people were snowbirds. Huh? I will strike the winter house along with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall come to an end declares the Lord. You can take this, write this thought down if you have your little bulletin insert, if you have a pen, that with great privilege comes great responsibility. Anybody remember Spider-Man? It reminded me of Spider-Man, okay? He says, with great power, they tell Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. But with God, it's with great privilege comes great responsibility. God has given the nation of Israel all these many, 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 many privileges. And he's given us today so many incredible privileges uh, that he doesn't want us to squander. He doesn't want us just to live for ourselves and not help people around us. That's squandering the, the privileges and the blessings that God's given to us. We've got to take all that God gives to us, his love and grace and mercy and generosity and forgiveness, and then share it with the people around us. Not just use it on ourselves. You remember uh, in Exodus when God delivered the Israelites from slavery? He, he hearkens back to that a couple times in uh, Amos. And he says, I delivered you out of slavery. I delivered you out of slavery. Remember me. Return to me. God, we know that he's delivered us from the slavery of sin in our lives. Kind of like Moses in the Exodus. 
And what was their response? They purposefully, these Israelites who've been delivered from slavery, purposefully kept on sinning. I mean, they barely left the Egypt and they were building this golden calf to worship a false god. And God's like, oh, oy vey, again and again with these people. And God's like that a lot for us. We, we're so privileged, we're so blessed, and yet we so easily, like we've been talking about the past couple of weeks, just so easily drift and drift from him to false gods and purposefully sinning. And God says through Amos to the Israelites, and he says to us today, enough! Enough! Listen up! Judgment is coming if you do not repent and return to me. God has had enough. Like a parent where their kid just keeps rebelling and rebelling and rebelling. I don't know if anybody ever had a rebellious kid. If anybody would call themselves a parent. I think that's how that works. Is that All kids are rebellious to some degree and at some point. That's just how life works. That's how our, our sinful nature works. We all have this... This, this desire to rebel and test authority. But when we keep sinning and we're rebelling against a holy and righteous and just God, there is a day of judgment coming. Now, we are saved because of Jesus, but we could lose some rewards. And for the people of uh, this time, Amos, they're going to be taken captive by this great nation, Assyria. You'll see that coming. God has put up with their sin long enough. And he's got to... He's got to end it in their lives. He, he's, got to, he's tried all these things, as we'll see in chapter 4. He's tried all these things to try and get them to understand how important it is to repent, how critical, how crucial it is to return to Him. And nothing has worked. And so he's just, there's just only one solution left, and that's to let the Assyrians come in and, in a way, teach them a lesson. Take them off to slavery again. They've got these uh, luxurious houses filled with all this fine furniture. Winter houses and summer houses. Sounds like America. They've got these winter houses. They've got these summer houses. They're living in luxury and extravagance. Not that having houses is wrong, but when they're so focused on and mobile houses, right? I saw Brian smiling back there. Uh, but they're so focused on these houses and on their luxury and on living these lives of extravagance that they forget to use their money. We've seen in the past couple chapters oppressing the poor. The rich getting richer and the, and the poor getting poor. And here's Amos and these people who are calling themselves followers of Yahweh, followers of God. Instead of lifting up the poor, giving them a hand out of poverty, showing them love and care for their practical needs, they oppress the poor even more. They're not caring for the orphans and widows like God has said so many times. They're not helping the people who are in need. They're not caring for the strangers and foreigners in their land. They're just focused on their own deal, their own house, their own furniture, their own new granite countertops, whatever it is. They're just so focused on themselves and on propping themselves up in pride and arrogance and extravagance. And, and putting, turning a blind eye to not see all the many needs of the people around them. These are God's chosen people. Nancy wants a high five. Oh, sorry, you had a, a thought? Oh, I was talking to Joyce earlier because I was studying why the Jews and the Samaritans did not like one another. Uh-huh. And it sounds like if part of it was that Samaria was conquered by the Assyrians. Mm-hmm. And 
many of them were taken away, if I understand it, and then other people were brought in to intermarry with those people. Yeah. So they were considered unclean, and some sources said they weren't even Jewish, even though they followed the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. Mm -hmm. So kind of like half breeds. The Jews considered them half breeds, them. like Muggles from the yeah. you know, if you're into that. Yeah. But they were originally Israel. I mean, the kingdom of Israel when it you know when it split up. Yeah, came out of that. But over the years, yeah, they really separated and were from different people groups and uh, you know, a lot of Americans, well, a lot, a lot of people throughout the centuries, we see other people groups and we have prejudices and they had prejudices too and obviously we want to not have prejudice against any people, nation or race or whatever background but you see God's people, they're doing it again. They're, they had all this, didn't they? They had all this that God had given them, taken them out of slavery and then as they were not liking to be oppressed, anybody like to be oppressed? They got out of oppression and then they were oppressing other people and casting the Samaritan, Samaritans to the side too. Yeah. Well, because the Samaritans had the same roots, essentially, but they had but here he's saying, you know, they're gonna be they're gonna be punished, they're gonna be um, yeah. hurt, you know, for this. And and then the source I read also said that the prophets then came out of Judea because Israel as a nation kind of was no longer there. I mean, they were sort of... Yeah, they had the, the two nations there, Judah and uh, Israel. They were separated kingdoms at that point. Yeah. But they're not living worthy of their calling. Is they, and and they, were, they should have treated these Samaritans better, but people should do a lot of things, shouldn't we? <laughs> Jim, yeah? In a lot of ways, the Samaritans were actually better than the Orthodox Jew. Well, who was the guy who helped along the side of the road? Jesus told that parable. The Good Samaritan. The, the last person that you would think is being helpful to somebody, should be helpful, is the, the most despised is the one who's actually helping. And trying to get the Jewish people to change their, their thinking, their frame of mind. That they're made in God's image too. That they're humans too. Yeah. And the other source I read said that the Samaritans actually kind of adhere a little bit more closely now to some of the original Jewish thought because a lot of the Jewish sections have moved into so many different. I don't know if you want to say denominations, but you know, different so sects. Yeah. Of, yeah. Yeah. Of Judaism. So I don't know. It's weird. But. Well, we know that they weren't living according to their calling. Right? God had given this, them this, this big uh, mission, and they were off mission. They were doing their own thing in this land. They had been freed from slavery, and they were squandering it. They were um, supposed to be loving the unsaved world around them. You could say even later, you know, loving the Samaritans and the other groups of people. And they instead cast them to the side and oppressed them and did all these different things. And... I was thinking about it this week, and I think that's like a lot of Americans today. You know, probably a lot of people in the world, but we'll focus on Americans because that's who we are. We're here in this land. We have so much affluence, don't we? We have so much extravagance, and it's so easy 
to get focused on worshiping the God of money or the God of work or these different idols in our lives, relationships, and to, to lose sight, to, to turn a blind eye to the oppressed and to not care for, like uh, these Israelites, to not care for the, the orphans and the widows and the poor and the, the strangers and not, not to fulfill that part of the mission that God's given to us. To just focus on ourselves. To just prop ourselves up uh, to the detriment of other people. But he's given us so much. And we arrogantly think that you know, we're immune. We're not like these people in Israel. They had their winter house and their summer house. And they're not going to lose it. But then what happens is they, the Assyrians come in and they lose it. And we think, oh, I've got all this money and I've got all this wealth and I've got all this saved up. And then, oh, there's inflation and the market crashes. And these, these different things. And these things in our life are so temporary. And they're not going to last forever. That's why we've got to focus, save money. That's wise and good, but it's not going to last forever. And we've got to focus on eternity, the, the, the eternal things in life, the things that truly make a difference for forever, which is loving God and loving other people. And not just focus on our wealth and all that we've accumulated and oppressing you know, others and, and putting them down by just living our lives of extravagance with our summer house and our winter house like the Israelites were doing. I want to show you this video. Uh, It's kind of like, I was thinking about the Israelites this week, and it's kind of like the difference uh, in us between a battleship and a cruise ship. So go ahead, Chris, can you pull that up? (laughs) If you press escape. I'll go back Okay. Oh. I'll read it since uh, I want to see the visuals too. Too, people, too often people evaluate church same way as a cruise ship. Do I like the music they play in the ballroom? Do I like the captain and his staff? Do I get good service? Mm. And are my needs met? Is my cruise pleasant and comfortable? Do I like the experience enough to sail with you again? We believe a more appropriate metaphor for a church is a battleship. And the right questions to ask are, Is the ship flying the right flag and fighting for a clear and noble mission? Does the captain understand that he and his staff serve a higher authority? And do they gladly take their orders from him? Do the officers create opportunities for each crew member to be prepared and successful on their tour duty? Is each individual given an opportunity to contribute in a significant way to the mission? Is every individual cared for, developed, and honored in their efforts? How do you choose 
Mm. How should you choose? I think we know the answer. And they say, 2 Timothy 2.4, No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Hmm, are you on a cruise ship or are you on a battleship? That is the question I think that Amos had in a, in a sense. They didn't have the cruise ship back then quite like we have today. But how about us today? This is my dad. It's a little sweaty because I use it as an outdoor hat. But this was my dad's hat from his cruise that he went on with my brothers. I had a little kid at the time and I... Thought it might help Rachel if I stayed home. Uh, he bought this from Cocoa Beach, Florida, 122613 for $12.99. That's my dad. He used to write down the dates for everything. So is this you? Do you have a cruise ship mentality for our church, for the church? Do you not want to do any work? Do you not want to have any responsibilities? Do you want... Everybody else to serve you and meet your needs. This is what they call consumer Christianity. A lot of these things. Uh, everything's optional on your cruise. And, you know, if you want to join in an activity, if it benefits you, you'll go ahead and do that. But if it's not real exciting and it sounds like a lot of work, then you don't want to go and do that activity. Uh, you avoid, do you avoid a, a responsibility? Do you avoid accountability? You're just cruising along. Just cruising, you're drifting, you want to be nice and comfortable, and you're drifting, drifting, drifting out in the ocean. But God didn't just call us to be entertained, did he? He called us to get up and go serve. Now, I didn't mean to bring this, but uh, Jen Sherman's son, Eli, is in the Boy Scouts. All right? We do this or this, but that always looks like the peace sign, like this. All right. The ears. Okay, gotcha. The ears. So I will attempt to put this on. This is my Boy Scout uniform from maybe sixth grade. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> when I was a kid. And I'm trying to look like a Navy officer or something right now, all right? So I got all my badges. Okay, so the truth is that we're called to be an active duty on a battleship, all right? Thanks for helping me bring this, Jen. We're called to be on active duty on a battleship, not cruising along on a cruise ship. We live disciplined lives with the, with the goal of being on this mission together, together. Everybody has roles. Everybody has responsibilities. Everybody has a duty. Completely devoted, committed to the cause. We'll go down with the ship. A hundred percent. They're all in. For this cruise, it's not, it's not uh, for this uh, battleship. It's not like a cruise. Are you totally to, committed to God and Jesus? Are you on the ship? Sir, yes, sir. Oh, captain, my captain. Right? Are you, will you give anything? Will you give even your life for this cause, which a lot of Christians do around the world today? They are persecuted and martyred for their faith. And we in America sit here and go, I didn't like the music. 
And the sermon was too long, and he puts on funny hats, you know. Don't, we must be a church of devoted, committed, on duty, ready for battle for Jesus. Battleship. And not just drifting, drifting, chilling on a cruise ship. Don't be uh, in that cruise ship Christianity. Are you ready to pay the cost, whatever the cost is? Do you listen to your command and officer, God and Jesus? Are you an active part? You know, there's, there's, on a battleship, there's not Navy officers who are chilling in their cabin, playing, you know, video games and all day and just putting pizza in the microwave and avoiding the captain, hope he doesn't see me. They could try that for a second to try and hide, but they will get found out. And they will get reprimanded and put back on duty and maybe latrine duty or some other detail. Everybody is a part, an active participant. And they're all in. That's the battleship mentality of following Jesus. Too often in history, in Israel and in the American church today, what we do is we do this cruise ship. And we're cruising towards an iceberg is what it is. We're just cruising, cruising, cruising towards judgment. That's what Amos did. Ah, That's what Amos told the Israelites. You're cruising towards judgment. Israel, repent. Return to me. Come back. God says. Don't just do what's comfortable and what's convenient in life. We've got to stand up for the cause of Christ. Let's see if you can see this. Stand up for the cause and be ready for battle. Not consumer Christianity, but a part of the mission together. God has called every single believer into ministry. Not just the paid pastor. He does all the ministry. No, no, no. Every person is a part of the body. And every single member is contributing in some way, shape, or form. With our talents, time, and treasures, right? Their gifts, abilities, with our finances, with our time and effort, and equipping other saints to fulfill this mission. This is the body of Christ. And if only a 90, if only 10% of the people are doing 90% of the, the ministry and 90% of the work, how would that go on a battleship? It would not function. It wouldn't work. If 90% of the people were kicking back, I got this picture. I think it's, I think it's in your bulletin. Let's see if I have it. There it is. Well, there's your Spider-Man, Brian. But over here, this picture, what is it? It's half a cruise ship and half a battleship. Somebody combined that picture. Do you see that? The front half, I don't know, I guess it's the front half. The front half is a cruise ship and the back half is a battleship. Do you think that would work practically in real life? <laughs> you couldn't really go on a cruise because there'd be missiles being fired <laughs> and cannons being, and you couldn't go, you couldn't go for, out for battle because people would be chilling with their drinks and umbrellas there on the front deck getting a tan. It wouldn't work. But we've got a church that 
is combined. So many churches in America, especially. There's some people ready for battle, you know, working 100%, doing all this ministry, caring for uh, widows and orphans and the strangers and the poor and, and tending to the needs of the church. And there's a lot of people sitting on the deck, tanning, drinking out of their drinks with little umbrellas, kicking their feet up, playing shuffleboard. And, and, and I don't want to be a cruise ship church. God calls us to be something greater. He calls us to go to battle. We are soldiers in a war, Paul says. This is a wartime mentality. It's an emergency. People are dying without the gospel. And we can't just, like Amos says, focus on your summer house and your winter house and all your extravagance. Jim, are you going to say something? Yeah. Should we rephrase uh, Kennedy's famous question? Ask not what and say, that one? Ask not what God can do for me, mm. but what can I do for God? Mm. That's good. I don't want to do the voice because I don't want to mess it up. But. Ask not what... Is that the guy? That was before I was born, I think. Uh, no offense. <laughs> so we can say, ask not what God and my church can do for me, but ask what I, how I can participate in the mission for my church, with my church, and for God. That's really, that's the call of the scriptures. That's what Jesus says. Go and make disciples. He doesn't say, okay, John, you go and make disciples and the rest of you guys just hang out and you know you, have, you guys have a potluck and just chill out and wait for John to come back doing all the ministry. No! They're all in it together. And that's, we've talked about this before. We went through 1 Corinthians a few years ago, talked about all the different parts of the church and how God has gifted every single one of you for the ministry and how we are all called to come together. And when the whole body of the church does not come together, and just a few people are doing almost all of the things. It's, it's really lopsided. It's, uh, it's not functioning the way that it's supposed to. And, and things are not going to go well. Those people are going to get burnt out. And the church is going to be perhaps very inward focused, like on a cruise ship. Serve me, serve me, care for me. And God says, that is not our calling. That is not our mission. Serve me, care for me. God does serve us. Jesus does care for us. But then they call us out. They call us out to be a part of his work. So I think you get that metaphor. And if not, I'll leave these hats up here. But that's what I was reminded. I keep seeing this picture of a cruise ship and a battleship. And my brother posted it this week. And I had it from months ago saved in my little sermon notes like oh that would be a really good illustration to use someday and I'm like Amos you're doing it right here this is exactly what he's talking about I want to read um, Luke chapter 12 and Jesus said these things but he probably say them uh, to Israel if he were Amos and he says them to us too a servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished see some people don't know like these other nations Amos has talked to, they don't know uh, all the laws of the scriptures. But we do. The Israelites did. And where there is great um, privilege, there is great responsibility. And then he goes on to say, when someone has been given much, much will be required in return. 
And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. Folks, in America, we have so much privilege. It's, it's actually stunning and ridiculous when we think about how much better we have it than a lot of the world. And we go, oh, my cell phone signal is. And oh, this waiter's not being fast enough. And oh, my car doesn't heat up fast enough in the wintertime. You have a car, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars that has heat and you know the rear defroster to warm up your buns and everything. And we, we get angry because it's not warming up fast enough. Well, other people in many other countries walk and ride their bicycles miles and miles and miles and miles to get to a church service. Or, uh, I was going to say to go to the hospital, but there's a lot of places in the world where they just don't have a hospital. And we get this consumer-consumer mindset, this cruise ship, it's all about me. And we have got to get out of that and live worthy of our calling for what Jesus really calls us to is the battleship Christianity. The battleship Christianity. Do you want to do Amos 4 or should we save that for next week? I don't know. Can you turn the heat up? <laughs> <laughs> turn the heat up? It's 70 degrees, Nancy! I was, I was going to fan you over here, but... Come up on stage, man. See, it's nice to warm up there. All right. I think I'm gonna save it for next week. I think. I think. Is that enough for today? Or do you want more? More. You want more? Okay. This is on Jen. Amos chapter four. We'll go through this quick. Amos chapter four. If you've been living on a cruise ship, we've got to ask ourselves this question. He says. Uh, hear these words, you, and he's talking to women, by the way, which will get a lot of pastors fired. Hear these words, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks and the last of you with fish hooks and you shall go through the breaches. Each one straight ahead, you shall be cast into, out into harmony, declares the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress to Gilgal and multiply transgressions. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened and proclaim free will offerings. Publish them. So you, for you so love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord. They're saying, well, look at me, I'm giving money. Woo, I'm so awesome. Arrogance. Selfishness. Verse 6, I have given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain and the field on it on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. He's doing all this. Verse 9, I struck you with blight and mildew, the many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees and a locust devoured, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with a sword and carried away your horses, and I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you as which 
As when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Oh boy, judgment's coming. You can write this last thought down. What disaster will it take for me to change? <laughs> this is a question that Amos is asking Israel, that God asks his people, what calamity is it going to take for you to knock it off and turn around and change your ways? What disaster? And, and so we ask ourselves this question. What is it going to take for me to change? What is it going to take for me to repent? What is it going to take for me to, if I could say, stop doing stupid and, and to follow God's best ways of living to help those around me to love God and serve God and love those around me. What's it going to take? Amos says, your, your religious revival, it's a sham. You pretend to be worshiping God, but you're worshiping these idols. You have not listened to the warnings that God has given again and again and again. What more can God do? He's done all these things, and yet you still refuse to return to God. You still refuse to repent. They were on that cruise ship, drifting into an iceberg, running into an iceberg like a lot of Americans, a lot of churches are today. Just judgment is coming for sin. And God's trying and trying and trying to open their eyes, to uh, lovingly discipline His children, but they refuse to listen. And there wasn't anything left for God to do to change their minds that would change their minds. So we're going to see in the coming chapters, He lets the Assyrians come in and take over Israel, bring them out into slavery. And maybe that would finally wake them up and uh, Amos says this funny thing, this interesting thing. Not, not only does he call the women's cows, which I would not recommend to you men out there, but he says that they're going to take you and like a hook in your mouth or a hook in your nose. <laughs> like a hook in your... Maybe I should put it in my mouth before I put it in my nose. Like a, like a hook in your mouth. Oh, oh. And you're like, what is going on here, Amos? The Assyrians... History uh, archaeologists have found depictions of this, that the Assyrians, they would take captives and they would poke holes in their, their nose or their lip or their jaw and they would hook in these rings and they would tie them together with ropes and they would lead them away into captivity. Lead them away. Lead them away. Not a pretty picture. This is... You know, evil countries do evil things. And this is what they were getting ready to do to these Israelites. Lead them away into slavery. Put holes in their jaws and lips and, and uh, like animals. They're just they're treating them like animals. That's what it's come to for the people of Israel. What will it take for you to wake up? Do you got to wait for some calamity to happen? You know, we, we read this. We go, oh man, Israel, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Why won't you stop? We go, What's it going to take? What's it going to take to wake up? Why would you just ignore God and, and choose this judgment? Stop rebelling. What is wrong with you? Oh, why do you keep on doing this? God has told you over and over and over again. Why don't you just unharden your heart, just repent, and just follow the living God? He has so much more blessing for you and life 
for you than a hook in your nose or a hook in your jaw from the Assyrians leading you away? Why, oh why, oh why would they wait until they get to rock bottom to wake up and change their lives? And how many of us, how many of us wait until the very last second or later to change our lives? How many of us, we wait until we get fired to change our work habits? Or we wait until our spouse is going to divorce court to say, oh, wait, 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 wait. I'll change, I'm going to change, I'm going to change, I promise, I promise I'll do better. Or we wait until we're flat broke and deep in debt to say, you know what, maybe I should take a financial peace class. Maybe I should change the way I spend money since I have nothing left. We do that. In so many different ways. We, we say, oh, you know, after we go to the doctor and he says, you're going to die if you don't change your eating habits and your exercise. Then we go, yeah, maybe I should do something about that. But we wait and we wait and we wait and we wait to change when disaster strikes. When we finally hit rock bottom, that's when we go, oh, I should stop drinking this alcohol or doing these drugs since people, you know, my family left me and I, I have nothing and I'm homeless. Okay, then, okay, I'll go to a recovery program then. We are, I don't want to say the S word again. Stupid. Oh, not in front of the kids. Okay. So dumb are we in our human nature Can we just say, God, come into my heart. Uh, I, I, I want to allow you into my heart. Show me the ways that I need to change before it's too late. Lead me to repentance. Help me to return to you, God, before I lose so much. Sometimes everything. Before I get dragged off. Uh, that bothers you, Nancy, when I stick sharp things in my mouth. Yeah, and my, ah, this is a real hook, by the way. It looks like it's real. It's a real hook. Is it a deep sea? I've never gone fishing with it before, but I think it's for not around here fish. <laughs> not Kaiser Lake, let's say. So we're going to sing our last song. Uh, and as we do that, I want to be like Amos today, and I want to urge us all and challenge us to not wait. If you're trapped in a cycle of destruction or, or doing things in your life that are not helpful, sin patterns, Israel kept doing them and kept doing them and kept doing them. And God said, "There, you guys won't stop? Okay, so here's the hook. Give them the hook. Oh, leave them away. Maybe that will finally change their hearts. Don't wait. Don't put off changing your life into it until it's too late. Today, this week, right now, Repent. Let God transform your life. Show you those areas. Like Paul says, examine your life. Examine your motives. How do I need to change God before I ruin stuff in my life? And I'm going to close with this. Second Chronicles. Let's never forget what God tells us to do. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Israel had a problem with humility. So do a lot of Americans. Humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways, God will hear from heaven. He will forgive their sins and restore their land. Let's not wait until it's too late. Let's stand and praise our Savior together.
Just real fast, I wanted to give a little bit of background on the song. If you don't know this song, it's on a cruise ship that it was written. No. Yes. <laughs> so some things can happen good on a cruise ship, with this, but a horrible tragedy happened before. Um, for Horatio Spafford, Spafford, the guy that wrote this song, he's like a Chicago businessman that had a successful business, then his business went bad, then it went good, and then his wife and his four daughters were on a cruise ship towards France, and, the, and it crashed, and his wife survived on a, on a piece of wood that somebody came by, but his four daughters died. So he follows her to back to Europe after that was over, and when he was over the area where his four daughters died, he wrote the song. So. Wow. Wow.
heads and pray with me. Lord God, we praise you and thank you that somehow, miraculously, we can have it be well with our soul. Even in a world of destruction and chaos and sickness and sorrow and death all around us, you are still God and you are always good. And you have given us this gift of Jesus that has changed our lives right now and for forever. God, pour out your spirit on us this week. Pour out your power on us to be who you called us to be. Give us courage and strength and boldness to be representing you well in a world that is far from you. To be that light in the darkness. And I pray you would help us to uh, be aware. Show us our sin, I pray. Help us to look in the mirror and to see how we need to change. Not to be saved, but because we already been, have been saved and to be transformed more and more sanctified into the people that you want us to be. God, you have changed everything for us. I pray that you would work through us this week to help affect the lives of those around us. For right now and for all eternity. Torby Church, oh, we thank God most of all for who? Jesus. In his name, everybody said. Amen. Amen.